Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Well, it's great to be here. It's, um, it's a privilege. We've prayed for y'all uh, a lot since we've known the Christinas for so long as the church started. Gosh, it's been th- three years? Yeah, three years. Now we've been praying for you guys, and so it's fun to, it's fun to be here and uh, to be able to preach this morning and, and to see Katie uh, be baptized as well. And so it's a, great, it's a great privilege and honor to be here and also to kick off uh, this series in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark is probably my favorite book of the Bible. I guess pastors can have favorite books of the Bible. Um, this, is, this is it for me. It is um, uh, it's fast-paced. It's quick. Um, I don't have ADD, but sometimes it feels like I do, and so Mark uh, helps me. It's so quick and fast-paced. It moves from story to story to story to story. Uh, there's tons of action verbs and all sorts of things going on that drive the story forward. Uh, Mark really gives us, in the beginning, this is um, 1 to 13 is sort of like the, the, a movie trailer, Right, the fast-paced action, you kind of get all the scenes from the movie. Um, Some of you have seen the trailer for American Sniper. Um, You sort of get all the glimpses of the story just in that one little 30 second, and you're you're nervous and you're tense, and a lot of that's happening here too, right? Mark sort of gives you the punchline, right? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's his... That gives the whole story away. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the whole book is sort of an unpacking of that. Mark 1 to 8 really give us this picture of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And 9 to 16 give us this picture of what Jesus uh, has come to do in his death and resurrection. 
And so Mark 1 to 8 are going to give lots of stories of Jesus interacting with all sorts of different kinds of people. Even in our text, he's going to interact with John the Baptist. And so we're going to see um, glimpses of this story that's driven forward as Mark unveils to us who is the king of kings, the king of glory. Uh, Amy and I, um, we have four small kids. Um, Josiah seven. Uh, Cooper's five, our daughter Sadie Jane is three, and Benji is one. So um, we, we are in the high weeds. Um, prayers are welcomed uh, for us uh, for that. But um, our, we, we try to do these date nights, but date nights for us have actually become getting kids into bed and falling onto the couch and watching a movie or just hanging out or whatever. But, um, we, you know, we watched um, the movie Chef, Maybe some of you have seen it. It's this beautiful movie. Um, uh, if you like food, if you're a foodie or want to be foodie, um, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Um, and there, there's a scene that the main character is the chef, um, acclaimed chef, and um, the sort of the scene where everything sort of falls apart, there is a food critic that comes to his restaurant. And they know he's coming. Right, And they do everything they can to get ready. I mean, it's a fairly nice place to begin with, but they, they're out. He's at the farmer's market. He's preparing and buying particularly uh, good, uh, ripe, whatever, fresh, the freshest food he can find. They're making all the preparations uh, inside, inside the restaurant. They're doing everything they can to prepare for this critic to come. If you haven't seen the movie, I won't give it away, but you've got you to gotta watch it. It's great. Um, so, uh, but they're making preparations, right? They're getting ready. This food critic, this really important food critic with this huge audience is coming to their restaurant and they are getting ready. And Mark immediately confronts us, the reader, in, in the same way. Someone very important is coming. Not a food critic, of course. But someone very important is coming and what, what are you doing to prepare Are you ready for the arrival of the King of Kings? So Mark tells us about John the Baptist who comes to prepare the way. Our first point this morning is simply that we have to prepare for the King by meeting him in the wilderness. See, this this story, if you were reading it, it would seem odd to you, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he's coming, but he's in the wilderness? And they've got this locust eating, right, sort of weird, weirdly dressed fellow coming to sort of prepare. Hey, everybody, get ready, right? Um, they send like the strangest character to get, him, to get you ready for the king, the arrival of the king. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And then when you, when you meet John the Baptist, you meet him in the wilderness, right, in this desert region. You go out by the River Jordan, which is also in the wilderness. You go out to meet him. We would expect, right, you guys live in northern Virginia. We hear stories uh, down in the backwoods of southwest Virginia about all the traffic, right? Everybody's kind of angry because the president has driven past and shut everything down, right? This is about as far from the presidential motorcade as it gets, right? You've got to go out, outside the city, into the wilderness to meet Jesus. And I think for our students, a lot of our students, that's not the kind of Christianity they're looking for. We want living room, kind of den, man cave sort of 
really comfortable leather couch, right? Huge big screen TV. We want comfortable Christianity. We want, a, we want it easy, right? We don't want to be challenged too much. We want um, comfort. We want good food. Uh, we want an easy lifestyle. We want all of these things, and we hope that that's what our Christianity looks like. But Mark confronts us right off the bat and says, if you want to meet the King of Kings, if you want to know Jesus, you've got to meet him in the wilderness. Now, as I say, some of us want this comfortable Christianity. But you know, the places where Christianity is growing around the world... The places we have the fastest expansion uh, of, of the church, they're not comfortable places. They're the wilderness. And some of us, through our own personal lives, our personal stories, we know our own wilderness. We know what it is to be outside the city, to be in uncomfortable places, to be dealing with really difficult, tragic situations and We know what it is to be in the wilderness. And Christianity comes not as something comfortable sort of added on to our weekend, but it comes as a lifeline. It comes as a breath of fresh air, a piece of hope in the midst of sadness. If we want to know this King of Kings, if we want to know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we've got to go into the wilderness. A friend of mine, he's a pastor, he's in RUF. Um, we have about 150 RUFs around the country, Reformed University Fellowship Ministries. And um, we all preach every week. We have our uh, large groups with college students. And so we're always sort of looking for sermon illustrations. And um, my buddy's a huge Shark Week fan, uh, Discovery Channel, Shark Week fan. I don't watch it that much. I've seen it a few times. But he's like TiVo the whole thing, watch every episode over the course of the semester. It's great. And he was telling me about this episode um, of these guys, these divers, free divers. They just went into the water. They carried all the chum with them. They, they sort of poured it out. And all of these gigantic sharks started coming. No cages, n- none of that, right? They just... The, the sharks just swim right up to you. And as they swim up to you, the, these divers were doing this thing called tonic immobility. Have you heard of this? Where you basically get up to a shark, you put your hand, not in its, not in its mouth, but on its nose, and you sort of pet it on the nose, and it, the shark goes catatonic. Right? You've got to look it up. I'm not making this up. It's, it's a real thing. The shark just goes catatonic. So it's showing on these episodes, these guys, they put their hand out. They pet these sharks on the nose. They sort of freeze, right, do their thing. They, they're just sort of dead weight in the water. This guy, this diver had the shark actually turned up so his, no, his nose down, just sort of balancing this, like, 10-foot shark on his hand, right, in the water. It's amazing. It, it is this crazy, dangerous, it, could we call that the wilderness, right? That's about as dangerous as it gets. But in order to find real peace, you've got to get right there next to the shark. And so for some of us, we have to know what it is to go into the wilderness, to feel all of our security blankets, to feel all of our crutches, to feel everything that we would lean on be kicked out, be taken away. To find that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. I, I feel like a lot of our students, uh, they come to Virginia Tech. I, I went to Tech, but it was a long time ago. I probably could not get in 
um, to tech uh, if I were applying today. Um, my SATs were okay. My grades were okay. Um, it was sort of lucky that I got in the first time. I definitely wouldn't be able to get in the second time. A lot of our students come now, and it's, it's, a, it's a fairly rigorous um, place academically, and uh, there is a pressure from um, just professors to perform well, to get a job. Uh, there's pressure from parents um, who are spending tons and tons of money, right? It is this sort of pressure cooker kind of place. And our students, a lot of them come, and they were sort of um, maybe not valedictorian of their class, but they were top ten maybe. Um, they were pretty high up there academically. They were overachieving as far as their extracurriculars go. You know, they missed like one question on the SAT, all of that stuff. And they come, and they're just one of thousands of students like that. They're not as special as they were. And so that uniqueness that they had that they held on to, that gets taken away from them. And then college is a pretty fun place. And so some of our students really enjoy the benefits of college, right? The freedom that you have from not living at home to being able to set your own schedule, to stay up as late as you want, to set all of your classes to start in the afternoon, right? To not have to get up before noon for a, a 1230 class. And that just wrecks all of our students, The freedom. It's almost too much. It's a freedom overload. And they make poor choices and all of these things happen, right? And every security blanket, everything, their, their approval of their parents, the approval of their friends, their relationships, all of those things slowly get taken away, sometimes quickly get taken away. And they 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 find themselves in the wilderness, in their dorm room in the wilderness, and not sure what to do and where to go. But friends, that's exactly the place where we meet Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's exactly the place we meet him. And how how else do we prepare to meet him? We have to prepare to meet him through repentance. Notice John, this prophet, he is the last prophet. He is uh, just like Elijah. If you were a... um, if you were reading in Mark's original audience, you would immediately think, oh, that's Elijah, right? He's come back. He's, he's exactly the same, right? He wears the same clothing, the camel's hair clothing, a leather belt around his waist. He's eating locusts and wild honey. He comes and he preaches this message, a baptism of repentance. You have to prepare to meet the king through repentance. Now, when we think about repentance, a lot of us, We've, we're maybe churched enough, to, we're sort of familiar with that word. And what we think is, um, or at least what your children think when they come to our college ministry, what they think repentance means, they think it means uh, there's bad stuff that I do, I need to stop it, and I need to do these good things, right? And maybe some of us think that's uh, repentance as well. I, there's, there's bad choices, I make poor choices, I think um, judgmentally about people, or I say things under my breath that I shouldn't about my parents, or I do this or that, whatever. I, there are things that I do or think or say that I shouldn't. And if I could stop it, then I'd be okay. Then I'd be prepared for the king to come. But that's not what John was doing at all. See, John was preaching to Jews. He was preaching to the Jews, saying to them, the, the, the law keepers, the rule keepers, the law abiders, he was saying to them, you need to come and experience this baptism of repentance. Repentance is a turning from sin 
not to better choices, but from sin to God's mercy. It's a turning from sin to the person of Jesus. See, you're, you're not capable, I'm not capable of doing enough good stuff to be prepared for the king to come. There's no way in my flesh I could make a list of all the things that I did yesterday or said yesterday or thought yesterday and I could undo them today. I wouldn't be able to function. I couldn't keep a job, right? I would take a, it would be a full-time endeavor to try to undo all of those things just from yesterday. And imagine if that was just the course of your life. One tick in the bad column equals needs at least one tick in the good column. We just we can't we couldn't do enough. We couldn't do enough. The the repentance that that John is talking about is actually a deeper understanding of our brokenness. We have to prepare for the king by repenting, which basically means we have to prepare for him coming by knowing our incapability. We have to know how broken, how sinful we are. I know so far this isn't the most uplifting of messages, right? Mark comes and says, come know Jesus by going to the wilderness and knowing how bad you are. right? But it's coming. The good news is coming. We've got to experience and see our brokenness. But friends, as we see that, as we know our brokenness, our sinfulness, our inability to do the good things that God requires of us, as we know that, the good news is even sweeter. I read an article over the weekend. Um, Some of you may have um, family members, folks struggling with Alzheimer's. There was an article that came through about Stanford, some research at Stanford, this sort of groundbreaking research that may cure Alzheimer's. It's beautiful. We've prayed for a long time in our family, and we've had folks struggle with Alzheimer's, and so we've been praying for a long time for something like this to happen. And just imagine for a second that if that article came out and these Stanford researchers had cured Alzheimer's. If you didn't know anybody who had Alzheimer's, if you weren't familiar with that, but you knew, okay, it's devastating, uh, devastating illness, you'd be pretty excited. I mean, you would read that. Maybe you'd click on it on your Facebook feed. You would, you would click through to the article and read about it because that, that's pretty good, right? That's great, really encouraging. If, if you're like me and have a grandparent who had Alzheimer's or maybe you know a parent, a, um, a relative, somebody who has Alzheimer's and you saw that, you would do more than click through. Right? You would, you'd be emailing that to everybody in your family. You would be rejoiced. I mean, you'd be thrilled. Right? But if you, if you had Alzheimer's, and then you saw that article, you heard that on the news, that there was a cure for Alzheimer's, you couldn't stop running telling everyone you know that there's a cure for Alzheimer's. Right? You would be exponentially more excited if it was a disease that was affecting you when you heard about the good news. And friends, that, that's exactly what John the Baptist is saying here. What you need, whether you're a good, law-abiding, rule-keeper, Christian, right? The Sunday school, youth group, perfect attendance, all of that. Whether that's you or you've never darkened the door of the church before, we all are incapable of keeping God's law. We all have this disease, Called sin. 
And so when the good news comes, it's even sweeter for us. And what is the good news? Lastly, how do we prepare for the king to come? We prepare for the arrival of the king by receiving his gift. Even that seems upside down and backwards, right? We just, the wise men epiphany, right, just happened. We would have just read probably in your family or at church. You would have just talked about the gift of the magi, right? The wise men who came and brought their gifts to Jesus. And that's what we would normally do, right? If someone important were coming to your house, you would give them a gift, you would, you would be the one to give the gift. And, and yet what happens here is that to really prepare for Jesus' coming, you need to receive a gift. You need to accept the gift that Jesus brings to you. And what is that? What is that gift? It starts in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The gift that Jesus gives to us is that he goes into the water, the same water that we went into, that sinners go into. Jesus, the sinless one, went into that water and was baptized just like us. The gift that we receive is the gift of Jesus' baptism. Now look what happens when Jesus is baptized. This beautiful Trinitarian moment, verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father speaks at this moment. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit descends on him like a dove. This hope and promise, right? Where else do we see doves, right? The Noah story, right? The dove gets sent out and brings back the, the, the olive leaf, um, the olive branch, and then he goes out again and doesn't return. It's this promise of new life. It's this promise from God that God is being faithful to his people. And here God the Father speaks, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. I'd be willing to bet, I, well, I meet, let me say it this way, I meet with 20 or so students a week, one-on-one, just pastorally, um, sitting down for coffee, or we go to lunch, or go play racquetball and hang out and talk, and um, I, I would be willing to bet you that if you could grab any one of those students, and you could pull them aside, and you could say, what would it mean to you if your dad called you? Just in the middle of class, between classes or something, if your dad called you and said, hey, I just, I'm just proud of you. It, mean, it means a lot to me what you're doing there at Virginia Tech. You're working hard. It's not great. Things aren't perfect. But you're working hard. And I, your mom and I are just, we're just proud. We're thankful for you, of who you're becoming, the man or the woman that you are. And we, we love you. I'd be willing to say that that would be the highlight of the semester for probably 19 out of 20 of my students, maybe all 20. Just a simple phone call like that. 
I'll try to catch my kids every once in a while. We're in that, again, high weeds of parenting them. And I'm, um, Amy has a much longer fuse than me. Um, and she's, um, she's wonderful with them. And I can tend to be um, impatient. Um, and particularly with one of my boys. He's just like me. And I'm afraid that he's going to grow up and be exactly like me. <laughs> and I want better for him than that in some of those things. And so um, I... I am in the practice now, just for about the last year, um, of pulling him aside and just saying to him, Josiah, you make, you make me very happy. And it, it, it's more for me, I think, than it is for him. Just this, just this reminder of, man, he, he, he is a wonderful kid. And I need to remember that when he doesn't meet my particular standard, that that's on me, not on him. Right, and so it's 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 a it's a, it's a discipline, a sanctification thing, um, for for me to do that. But it is a message that I want him to hear. I am afraid that he will wake, he will grow up and look back on his his childhood and think, yeah, dad was pretty hard on me. And so I just I have got in the habit of as I'm kissing him and putting him to bed at night to just say, uh, you, you make me very happy. Wouldn't that mean the world to you? Right, some of us are grown now. Uh, our parents maybe have passed on. There's, we're the ones that get to say that, but no one's saying that to us anymore. Wouldn't it be amazing if somebody came up to you and just said, "You make me proud. In you, I'm well pleased." Friends, the gift that Jesus gives us through His baptism is that we get that said about us. When you go and meet Jesus, when you recognize your sin and you repent and you turn to him, Jesus was baptized for you. He was obedient. He didn't need to be baptized. These cleansing, this water ritual goes way back into the Old Testament, right? Where if you came into contact with something that was unclean, you had to go through these washing rituals until you could come back to the community, until you could come back to worship. The baptisms that we'll see here, folks are going to get wet, right? And it's a picture to us of the cleansing that we need. Jesus didn't need that. Jesus was perfect. Jesus never sinned. He didn't need to be cleansed, and yet he went into the water, went through baptism to identify with us. So that when, Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees the obedience of Jesus. He sees his perfect life. All the things that you failed, Jesus was obedient in. And then he died in our place. And then he was raised to new life. And this Jesus, the gift that he gives us, is the gift of the approval of the Father. It can be easy when um, folks are going to come up to be baptized here to think that this is a decision that they've made, that it's, it's, a, it's a conscious decision to say, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus. And it is that, but it's, it's more than that. Baptism really looks at God's promises. And so as those folks come up this morning to be baptized, what I want you to think about is God's faithfulness to his people. 
and Jesus going through a similar baptism. Even though he didn't need to, going through a similar baptism to identify with us so that he could live and die in our place. So that as these folks are being baptized, what you're seeing is that water is splashed on their head. You're seeing Jesus' faithfulness. His commitment to die in our place, to be crucified for us, to be our redemption. And then you see, or can imagine, you, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. In you I'm well pleased. Not because of the decision that they've made to come up here, right? But because of Jesus. We get the approval of the Father because Jesus stepped in and gives us this gift. Some of you, you may be in the wilderness this morning. I mean, you may be here, but you may be in the wilderness. And maybe you have never known the hope of the gospel. We come empty-handed as beggars. We have nothing to give. We just recognize our sinfulness and the perfect righteousness of another. And we run to Jesus. We run to Jesus, who is our hope. Through him, you hear the words, you are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. Now, it might not take you out of the wilderness. Those words, they might not take you out of the wilderness, right? Your situation may not magically change this morning. And yet you have a hope beyond your circumstances. You have a promise that will get you through to the other side. You are clothed in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are clothed in Christ And you can hear the words, you are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. For the gospel of Mark, we thank you that it gives us this picture of Jesus. Lord, we pray that even now, as we watch the baptisms of these folks, that you would meet us wherever we are. God, whether we're in a comfortable place or in the wilderness, would you meet us? Would you remind us? As hard as it is, would you remind us of our sinfulness? Would you bring to mind our inability so that for the purpose that we could rejoice in the good news of the gospel, that Jesus stood where we stand and he died in our place and he lived the life that we couldn't And through him we have redemption and adoption as sons and daughters. We hear the words from you. You are my beloved. In you I am well pleased. God, would you do that now? Would you continue to make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.